I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you, preacher, and thank you, Bible Baptist Church, for having this meeting and allowing us all to have a part in it. And for every person who has vacuumed the floor and taken out the trash and cleaned the bathroom and served food and given the meeting would not be possible without your labor of love. And you'll never know this side of heaven how much help that people from other churches get to be able to come to a meeting like this and to hear the preaching and the singing and the spirit of the place. And so thank you, Brother Gravely, for having the meeting and all of the work. Thank you for letting me to have a part in it. And um, one of the highlights of my year is to be here. And I thank God for that. I wish that my wife could have come. Um, I would love for you to get to meet her, to get to know her. If you don't know her, she's a wonderful, wonderful, precious lady. And I wanted her to be able to come this year and just wasn't able to. She was with me last week in Arizona all week. And so wasn't able to come this week, but maybe next year she'll be able to. She called me the other night at 1.30 in the morning. And if you call me at 1.30 in the morning, it needs to be either really, really bad or really, really good. 1.30. I was asleep, and so I had the phone laying there on the little nightstand beside the bed in the motel room. So the phone rings at 1.30 in the morning. I open it up, call her ID, sugar booger. And so I... Well, everybody has a pet name, don't they? So I answered the phone. She said, we have a big problem. I thought, oh, no. Which child has died? How bad is the house burnt down? She said, the air condition has gone out and the septic tank is backing up. God has given me the gift of encouragement So the first thing I thought at 1.30 in the morning is, you know, you should have come to camp meeting with me. <laughs> she didn't appreciate that. <laughs> My wife and I, um, the thing that she and I like to do is every once in a while, we like to go out to eat on date night to a nice restaurant. That's our luxury. And uh, usually at least once a week if I'm in town, Try to find a nice restaurant to go to. We both love Italian food. My favorite Italian restaurant is Olive Garden. She likes... (laughs) Such a carnal crowd. (laughs) After all this preaching. I love Olive Garden. She likes Carabas. That's her favorite. And so we've learned over the years to compromise. I want to go to Olive Garden. She wants to go to Carabas. And so we compromise and meet in the middle and go to Carabas. um, When I go to Olive Garden, I love their salad. I I could just eat a bowl of their salad. And I love their breadsticks. Nobody has breadsticks like Olive Garden. 
I always get the same thing. I find something that I like and why change. I always, when I go to Olive Garden, I always get seafood portofina. There's nothing better there than seafood portofina. But usually I eat so much salad and eat so many breadsticks that by the time the main course gets there, I'm full. But it is so good. You just keep eating. And it's one of those places where I always just eat too much. But I tell you, the Olive Garden, if you've never tried this before, what is better than their salad, what is better than their breadsticks, what is better than their seafood portofina is their tiramisu. I love their tiramisu. I am never hungry by the time that comes around. But I will order their tiramisu. I will. And I'm usually too full to eat it, so we usually end up getting it to go. We'll take it home. We'll let things settle down for a couple of hours, and then that night, tiramisu. We have heard 73 sermons this week, I think. Something. <laughs> and by the time you get to the last night, I am so full. I have cried. I have laughed. I have shouted. I'm not a shouter. I have shouted. I've sat in silence. I have drank and ate so much. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I could eat any more. But the beauty of it is that you can take some at home with you. And tomorrow when it settles down, Monday, Monday, next week, you can take some and just keep feeding on it and feeding on it. What a blessing. First Kings chapter 21 tonight. And Brother Gravely, I hope that you'll understand this. This is not meant as false humility. I, um, I really hoped that I would not get the nod tonight. And I certainly didn't want to get the second nod tonight. <laughs> there is not a man in here that I care to follow. Not a one. Especially on the last night. When the whole Bible has been preached. And there's nothing left to say. Yesterday afternoon, I was sitting in my motel room, and I've had a message in the back of my Bible, ready to go. But yesterday afternoon, I read a story I read a hundred times before, and God began to speak to my heart about it. I never go to a meeting and preach a message I've never preached before. And this is about half-baked, to be honest with you. And if ever I've needed the Lord, I need him tonight. I'm going to give you a thought, just a closing thought tonight, that maybe the Lord will use it to kind of seal this meeting up. In 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse number 4, it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I'll give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. 
And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. You know who Ahab is, don't you? He's that king of the northern kingdom who had a record of being a weak and an evil man. He would be a king for a total of 22 years. He is in year 20 at this point. During that time, the Lord has sent a number of prophets to him, warning him to turn back to God, and he never listened to any of them. I think the reason for that is driven by his wicked wife, Jezebel. Those two go down as the most wicked duo in the Old Testament. The capital of the northern kingdom was in Samaria. Our story takes place in Jezreel. Jezreel was 25 miles away. It was also home to a summer palace that was owned by Ahab. And when Ahab would visit his summer home, he would often look out the window and see a neighboring vineyard that is owned by a man named Naboth. Naboth evidently took great care and pride in this vineyard. It's beautiful and it's bountiful. And Ahab thought, I would love to own that vineyard. Why, I think I'd give anything to get that vineyard from Naboth. He began to covet that vineyard. He began to obsess about that vineyard. And so one day King Ahab went over to see the owner and he said, neighbor, that's a beautiful vineyard that you have there. I would love to own it and add it to my portfolio of properties. How about I buy it from you? I'll give you money. Name the price. Or if you prefer, I'll, I'll switch vineyards. I'll, I'll give you a vineyard that's even better than the one that you have. Can we make a deal? And Naboth said, oh king, I, I can't sell you the vineyard. You see, the vineyard has been in my family for generations. My grandfather owned the vineyard. I used to work in the field when my grandpappy owned it in then. When he died, he turned it over to my dad. And, and now my father, he has turned it over me. And King, you have to understand, it's not just any vineyard. It, it's, a, it's a special vineyard. I, I can't sell the vineyard. And Ahab said, oh, that's no problem. I, I didn't really have my heart set on it anyway. I, I have plenty of other vineyards and you, you have a good day. Ahab goes back to his palace. He brushes past his servants. He goes into his bedroom, shuts the door, lays down on the bed, turns his face to the wall and begins to cry and begins to pout. Has a little pity party all by himself. You see, he, he is a spoiled brat. Nobody's ever been able to tell him no. He's used to getting whatever he wanted. Why? Why can't I have that vineyard? It's, it's not fair. I, I said that I would buy it. It's not like I was trying to cheat Naboth. And in comes Jezebel. Jezebel assesses the situation and she says, How dare that meany Naboth not sell you that vineyard? Doesn't he know that you're the king? He should have more respect than to tell you no. Ahab, you don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. I'll get you that vineyard. 
The plan that Jezebel comes up with is diabolical and twisted. She gets two men of Belial, devils they are, to testify against Naboth that he has committed blasphemy. They're able to stir the people of Jezreel up against Naboth and with these trumped up charges so that the townspeople take Naboth outside of the city and they stone him with stones until he dies. An innocent man is killed for the crime of saying no. Jezebel goes to Ahab and says, Oh boy, I have good news for you. Naboth is dead and the vineyard is yours for the taking. All you have to do is go take possession of it. Ahab jumps out of bed, dries his tear, throws his clothes on, calls for a royal carriage and races to Jezreel to take possession of his vineyard. And the plan has worked beautifully. Everything has worked out exactly as Jezebel has planned it. He's going to get his vineyard and when Ahab goes to the vineyard, there is standing Elijah the prophet. Oh no, not Elijah. And Elijah points his finger at Ahab and says, you are a liar and you are a thief and you're going to die in the same spot that Naboth was killed in. In fact, the dogs that lick the blood of Naboth is going to lick up your blood and they're going to do the same to your evil wife, Jezebel. Now you know the story, that's the story of Naboth's vineyard. I am sure that it is included in the narrative of the kings to give us an example of the corruption of Hillary, I mean Ahab and Jezebel. Surely, surely this is not the only abuse of power. Surely this is not the only crooked dealing. Surely this is not the only devious deeds of this king and queen. I'm sure they probably stole other vineyards. I, I'm sure they connived to have others, innocent men framed and killed. And I'm only guessing that this is not an isolated incident, but it is such an injustice that God put it here in the scriptures for you to know that this is the character or the lack thereof of Ahab and Jezebel. And when a preacher looks at a passage and he begins to study that passage for a message, he looks for an angle, he looks for a hook, he looks for a theme. What's being emphasized? What, what is the point of this story? I could take this passage tonight and I could preach on weak, sissified, henpecked husbands. There is one of them in the story. I could preach tonight on loud, bossy, domineering women. There's one of them in the story. But there is also a very courageous man who refuses to bow to pressure. He refuses to turn over something that has been given him. He is brave enough to die for a principle that he believes in. They've read the story a hundred times. And yesterday the story came alive to me. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to show me about a man and his vineyard? And the Lord gave me four thoughts. I'll give them to you just as simply as I can. And hopefully the Lord will use them. Here is my first thought tonight is that Naboth has a priceless possession. Amen. Obviously, there is something special about this vineyard. 
I don't know if it was on a special piece of land. I don't know if it is a fertile plot of ground. Maybe it grew the best grapes. And, and Naboth was known to always have a bumper crop of grapes and, and made a lot of money from it. Maybe it was just beautiful straight vines lined up like, like rows of soldiers. Maybe it was taken care of. Maybe it was well watered. But, but it wasn't just any vineyard. You have to understand it was a vineyard that caught the eye of a king. There were hundreds of vineyards in Israel, but there was something unique. There was something different. There was something valuable about this vineyard. It is an important detail, young person, that Naboth didn't buy the vineyard. And Naboth didn't plant the vineyard. In verse number three, it says, Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my father's to thee. That means that Naboth didn't pay any money for the vineyard. He didn't lay out any cash and he didn't take out a loan. Someone else has grown the vineyard and then handed it over to him to keep it and to produce it and grow it. Somebody's gone before him and plowed up the ground and dug out the rocks and planted the vines and tenderly cared for it year after year. In fact, the word father's indicates that it is multi-generational. Grandfather, father. Maybe it was Naboth's wife's father and his father that together. But either way, they own something of infinite value that they didn't pay for. It was given to him. And since nobody else owned a vineyard like this, it was the vineyard that made Naboth different and everybody else. You don't read about any other vineyards because they are all the same. There's no need to mention the owners of those vineyards because there was nothing that stood out. But if you own something that no one else has that makes you different, you can be like everyone else. You can live like everyone else. You can dress like everyone else. But I tell you that if you have a possession tonight that is unlike what everyone else has, that makes you different. And Naboth said, or Ahab said, I want it. I'll give you money. If it's not money, I'll, I'll give you another vineyard. In fact, I'll give you another vineyard that, that is better than the one that you have. What do you want for your vineyard? I, um, I've been blessed this week to watch the young people in the meeting. A lot of young people here tonight. And, and if, I could just, if I could just say a word to, to the young people that are here tonight, I I don't know if you realize that you have something tonight that most people don't have. And, and, and you didn't pay for it. You, you didn't earn it. What you are enjoying tonight, what you have enjoyed this week, somebody else sowed the seeds. Somebody else planted the vines and somebody else grew the vineyard and they handed you a priceless possession. I don't say this mean. I don't say this as a review. Please understand this. You have no idea how valuable the vineyard is to me. Maybe tonight it is your Christian faith. Are you aware that most of the world is not Christian? Are you aware that most of the people that live in your neighborhood, 
that perhaps go to your school, that, that, that are employed where you work, have no idea what being a Christian is. They couldn't tell you what being saved is. They wouldn't know one verse of scripture by memory. They wouldn't understand why you are at a camp meeting tonight. And if you have a faith in God and a belief in Jesus Christ and a confidence in salvation, you have something that most of the world doesn't have. And you didn't earn it. Some Sunday school teacher some mama, some daddy, some grandparent, some pastor, some youth work. You didn't come up with this idea on your own. You didn't make this discovery by yourself. You wouldn't be a Christian just by yourself. So somebody gave you a priceless possession. We mentioned this the other night, but your Bible believes. It's good to be a Christian, but it's also good to be a Bible-believing Christian. There are Christians in churches in this town and they're reading a New International Version or New American Standard Bible and they don't even know why. Nobody's ever taught them the difference that the King James Bible is the true word of God and they would be shocked to hear that there is a difference in the different translations. And we shouted the other night because we had a King James Bible. I doubt anybody ever shouted because they had a good news for modern man. You just don't shout over that. But if my Bible, if my Bible is just a good translation, if it is just a good rendering, if it is just an accurate version, then I'm not going to get too excited about that. But if my Bible is divinely inspired, if my Bible is perfectly preserved, if my Bible is settled in heaven, if my Bible is infallible, if my Bible is inerrant, I can get excited about that. And tonight, tonight, if you hold a King James Bible in your lap and you realize what it is, that is a priceless possession. Your appetite for old time worship is valuable. We had a man visit our church. First week of January, we have a jubilee. And in the middle of the week, first, first one, of the, one of the nights, we had a gentleman visit our church for the first time. His daughter had been coming to our church for a couple of months. She was friends with another family in our church, and she convinced him to come to our church just one night of the Jubilee. He's a good man. He is from a Southern Baptist church in town. And I know there are some good Southern Baptist churches, but not in Milton. He came one night. He didn't know that that existed. And so he came back the next night. And he came back the next night. And he came back the next night. And he's been coming every single service since then. Because once you find something that is alive, it's hard to go back to something that is dead. Once you have been exposed to old-fashioned preaching and, and worship and Bible preaching and something that is alive, can I tell you tonight, you don't find churches like this in every town in America. You don't find the touch of God and the liberty of the Holy Spirit in every church in America. You won't feel the warmth and the anointing in many churches like we have soaked in this week. Let me tell you, your desire for old-time worship, that is valuable. Maybe it is sound doctrine. It's good tonight not to be caught up in hyper-Calvinism. 
or hyper-dispensationalism. It's good tonight not to be deceived by the revival of post-tribulationism that we're seeing. It's good to have an understanding of sound doctrine. Maybe, maybe tonight it is a happy home. Did you know tonight that there are some homes that are full of screaming and fighting and throwing things? There are some homes that don't have any peace, don't have any love, don't have any joy. But if you have a happy home where there's a refuge, where there's a safe place there, you didn't buy that. You didn't earn that. Somebody handed it to you. I say tonight that you have a priceless possession. Someone has invested in you. They have built a good thing. And they said, I want to give this to you. It'll make your life so rich. It'll make your life so full. It will make for a good life and a hard world. And all that you have to do is keep it and protect it and enjoy it. And it makes you different. You understand you'd be just like everybody else if you weren't a Christian. And if you didn't have a heart for God, and if you didn't desire old-time worship, and if you didn't have godly standards, you'd be just like everybody else. But you have a priceless possession that makes you different. The second thought that I have tonight is that Ahab is preoccupied with taking Naboth's vineyard. Now, Ahab, Ahab has a palace. Ahab has a crown. Ahab has royal garments. Ahab has a throne. He has all the trappings of being a king. He's got summer homes. He's got vineyards himself, but it doesn't satisfy him. When he saw what Naboth had and how unique it was and how valuable it was to Naboth, he is not content until he has taken it away. He is not happy that Naboth is happy with his vineyard. He's not content to let Naboth enjoy his vineyard, no. But because your thing is different and because your vineyard means so much to you, I'm not going to rest until I take it away from you. In fact, here's what he says in verse 2. He says, give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it's near to my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. He knows the vineyard means a lot to Naboth, so he's going to have to sweeten the pot. And so he says, I tell you what, if you'll trade with me, I will give you another vineyard. It's better than the one that you have. That doesn't make sense. Why would you trade the more for the less? If it's better, then why wouldn't you want to keep that? To be honest with you, I think he's lying. I don't believe he had anything better. I don't believe that the vineyard that Ahab had was a better vineyard than the one that Naboth was keeping. I don't think there was one better. But Ahab said, I'll I'll do anything. I'll I'll give you anything. I'll I'll offer you anything. I will trade anything. But I want to get that vineyard away from Naboth. Can I tell you that those possessions that you have, there's a target on them. When you leave camp meeting, You're going to a world that is preoccupied every day to take it away from you. 
They will lie to you and they will deceive you. They'll be nice. They'll be mean. They are preoccupied with taking the vineyard away from you. But what would you trade tonight for what you have been given? And if you make that trade, you become just like them. What would you give tonight for that good name? What would you give tonight for that testimony? What would you give tonight for the anointing of God? What would you give tonight for that heart for God, that love for worship? If you trade that away, it makes you just like the rest of the world. Naboth has a priceless possession. Ahab is preoccupied with taking away. Here's my third thought. Naboth had no price that would take for his vineyard. You'll notice when Ahab came to Naboth with his offer, that it doesn't take Naboth but about two seconds to say no. There's no indication he even considered it. He doesn't need to pray about it. He doesn't say, I need time to think about it. In fact, there is no space between verse 2 and verse 3 because Naboth shuts it down right out the gate. And that tells me because there wasn't a price that Naboth would take for his vineyard. It is not that Ahab came in with a low bar, ridiculous offer. No, it is that there is no offer that Naboth would even consider in his heart. There is not a price that you can offer. You don't have anything that I want more than I want the vineyard. Can I tell you something, young person? If you have a price tag tonight, the devil will offer it to you. Don't care what it is. Don't care how high you set the bar. But if you have a price tag tonight secretly in your heart, he will find the price and he will offer it to you. Whatever you would trade for your possessions, he'll give it to you. There's young men tonight who have surrendered to the call to preach. And then they got the scholarship to the state university. Paul got a good chance of making some money or call to preach. And Satan found the price. There's pastors who had a ministry and a church and a wife and a family. And the devil said, I'll give you a loose woman. They found their price. There's precious girls who cherish their purity and knew God would one day give them a godly husband. And Satan brought him a handsome boy that all the girls swooned over and she gave away that virginity. The desire for God to use her, Satan found her price. What could possibly be more worth the touch of God and a pure life? The protection of God. What could he possibly give you that is more precious than that? And when he says it's better, he's lying to you. Anything tonight that he'd offer to you is a cheap trinket compared to the plan that God has for your life. What could he possibly give you that is more valuable than what God has given you? And I love two words in verse 3. When Amos said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. For 20 years, Ahab has been a godless and a wicked king. 
He has done everything in his power to promote the worship of Baal and lead a nation away from God. 850 false prophets to lead the nation away of God. And Naboth said, the vineyard is not for sale, especially to you. Not, I'm not giving it to you. Why would, why would you give your purity to such a scumbag? Why, why, why would you trade the call of God for her? But would, you really, would you really tonight give away the touch of God for that? Naboth has no price in his heart that he would trade for his vineyard. There's no price. The final thought, I'm done. Naboth has a priceless possession. Ahab is preoccupied with taking it away. Naboth says there's no price. Ahab gave Naboth no praise. When Naboth said no price, here's what Ahab should have said. I'm really disappointed that I can't buy the vineyard, but I sure do respect you. I understand the decision. I understand what it means to you. I, I understand what it took to get it. I, I, I think you're a great man not to trade it away. In fact, I wish our nation had more men like you. Men of integrity and character and conviction. But if you expect the world to applaud you for your convictions, it'll never happen. While we have been in church tonight, there have been cars that are driven by the, the church and said they're in church again. And they don't understand why you're in here. They'll never applaud you for staying pure. They'll never congratulate you for surrendering to the mission field. Tony came to me a few weeks ago and said, Preacher, I'm having a hard time with my mama. I'm having a hard time getting along. You see, Tony's problem was that about two months ago, Tony got saved in our church. He got really saved. But when he got saved, he quit drinking, quit doing drugs, cleaned up his life, started coming to church, and got baptized. Amen. And a godless mama didn't like it. Yes. And she began to put pressure on him. She would rather him go back to being drunk than being a religious fanatic. She should have said, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's right. Boy, thank God that you found the Lord. No encouragement, no encouragement. Sunday, Tony came to me after church, and he said, Preacher, I... I'm having a hard time at work and I, I don't know what to do. The problem is that the men of the work found out that he's a Christian. They're trying to take it away. He said he used to cuss before, but now that's all they do. It is so blatant. They're telling so many dirty jokes and they're so vile and cussing all the time. And the pressure is so much. And really what they should have done is they should have said, thank God, Tony, that God has made a difference in your life. We're glad that you found the Lord and he's changed your life. They'll never say that. They're going to cuss and they're going to tell dirty jokes and they're going to try to see if he'll come to a party and see if he'll go back to the old life. No commendation, no applause, no respect. Well, they'll never applaud you tonight. Can I go off script and be personal tonight? I know this is scattered. I understand. Sarah. Boy, I love Sarah and Joe, my church. Crazy that you would jump in a car and drive six hours 
to go to church all day today and jump in the car and drive six hours home tonight. But I've watched you stand on the platform and sing with tears coming down your cheeks and raising your hand to God. And a daddy that says every night, get your Bibles, let's have devotions. And Joe stood in our church the other night and said, God has called me to preach. That's priceless. That's priceless. Oh, look, those girls stood in our church in January and sang, and our church fell in love with them. They stood there with the touch of God on their life and blessed our church. How valuable that is. And that's what makes you different. That's what the world wants. I sat in an airport the other, sat in the airport a couple of months ago, and I, I was waiting in Atlanta, Georgia. I was waiting for a flight, and here was the Mark Biddy family coming down the terminal. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to stand off to the side and just kind of watch them. They were waiting for you to fly in from somewhere around the world and, and the love of that family, and I know your dad. And the other night she sang, Jesus loves me. Yeah. And I texted her dad and said, boy, God's touching my heart through that. Yep. Well, that's priceless. That's what makes you different tonight. And the world is preoccupied with taking that away from you. You know what happens? You can't get him to sell it. He can't take it away. So he kills him. Kills him. It's a strange thing for the story to end that way. It looks like Ahab won. If you're going to lose it, why lose your life too? Until I found 2 Kings 9. It's 15 years later. And if you look in verse 21, the portion of the field that is Naboth's. Naboth's. And in case you miss it, verse 25. The field that is Naboth's. And in case you missed it, Verse 26, Naboth. Ahab gets the field. It looks like he's won. Naboth has died. 15 years later, God said, no, no. He never sold it. He wouldn't give in. No, he, wouldn't he didn't have a price. No, that's Naboth is what it is. You'll never have the applause of this world. You'll never get the respect of this world. If you're living for that, it's not coming. But oh, to hear heaven say, no, he never sold out. He never had a prize. He wouldn't give it away. He kept the vineyard. It was priceless to him. What a possession today. What he has given you that somebody has gone before you and has handed it to you. And if you give it away, you're just like the rest of them. And there is a world tomorrow that is preoccupied and they will not rest and they've taken your possession. I hope that you don't have a price tonight. I, I think tonight, I, I don't give high-pressured invitations. I, I don't know how to do that. Closing night, everything that can be said has been said, I, I've done my best, preacher. But I think tonight, with everything that you have heard, with everything that you've experienced, that every young person in this room want to get on your face tonight and say, God, thank you for the vineyard. Thank you for what you have given me. What a priceless, priceless possession. And Lord, 
I'll never sell it. I'll never have a price for what you have given me. Amen. Heavenly Father.